Hello and welcome to the British Sitcom History Podcast. This is part two of our look at the Army Game classic sitcom. So do go back and listen to part one if you have not already. We've already started looking through our episode, which is series one, episode 15, Rax. And we've looked at most of the principal actors of the original cast, uh, the cast that are involved in this episode. In this podcast, we're going to look at the later cast as well as continuing our look at that episode. So if you are caught up, then let's jump right in. Let's let's get into our episode. Come on, we've barely touched the the plot yet. Come on, let's get into it. Okay, so so we've 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 introduced all the characters, and one of the the plot contrivances here is that there are four soldiers, a sergeant and three privates, who are being who need to come in in the middle of the night, and they need to be billeted. Hmm. And so we'll stick them in hut twenty nine. Lo and behold, uh, to everyone's surprise, these four soldiers are women. A woman. Ooh. And shock horror. We've got women and men coexisting in the same space. Anything could happen. Now, this is something you don't often get in the army game, which is women. Um, this is very much, uh, you know, obviously the setting is um, male heavy. and they. But what I found interesting, and certainly in the things I've seen, is they don't really bring women in even for a kind of a bit of a romance subplot in an episode or anything like that. It's very rare. Uh, Snudge has a wife that we see fairly regularly in the latest shows. Okay. Uh, and she's quite a good character, but they just don't bother. And and I was thinking about this in terms of, you know, how much this show... Like, I, I think this show hasn't aged that badly. I think yeah, not I just think right. in terms of, like, what I'm going about to go on about now, like political correctness and all this sort of thing. Mm. You can't be racist if everyone's white. You can't be sexist if everyone's a man. And you can't be, you know, homophobic if everyone's straight, you know, even if you don't yeah. mention the gay one but what my point is if you just don't have any of those things to rail against you're not going to find yourself caught out by changing uh, social opinions you know that's yeah, an easy that's way to point. get around that isn't it <laughs> we see these these women and we've got this sort of fearsome sergeant and and i actually thought that in the same way that charles hawtrey equals knitting equals homosexual i mm. thought well she's really coded fearsome lesbian <laughs> but actually later on she she starts um making eyes at bullymore so i was wrong well, this, about that so that is that is, is my homophobia you, that i have internalized filthy homophobe you see the thing is gareth what you don't understand this is comedy comedy gold classic comedy gold big stocky woman who is sexually aggressive and, yeah. and scares men that is terrified the sergeant gold. major the fearsome sergeant major is terrified by her advances yeah and we've got, I, I, I mean, we can talk through every scene of this episode, but I, I don't propose we, we talk about the three versions of this scene, which is the lights are out, the women get into bed. Oh my God, there are men in these beds. Ah, oh, turn the lights on. And what are you, what are you men doing here? And that, that sort of happens three times in this episode. And very much a very easy, oh, we didn't realize you were going to be women. Oh, sorry, we'll figure this out. Let's find yeah. you somewhere to stay. Please no, put the rifle down. Everyone held at gunpoint as we all panic and run around in our pants. But yeah, yeah, yeah. some nice stuff. Uh, you know, Bernard Breslau trying to put his hands up but not show off his pants. Quite nice yeah. little bit of business there. Huge laughs for Bernard Breslau with no trousers on. That's hysterical. I actually noticed a really big laugh when the women walk in and it's revealed that, oh, they're women. 
that's yeah. what this is going to be about. Big laugh for yeah, that. Because the, the, fact that uh, the laugh there is everyone in the audience getting exactly what's going to happen for the next 20 mm. minutes. Like they, they, the script is written in your head immediately. <laughs> There's a little setup here as well that Popeye, Popeye Popperwell, yeah. played by Bernard Breslau, has a mouse as a little pet yes. called Alfred. There's a mouse running around throughout this episode, and obviously the the women are terrified of the mouse. That's a well-known fa- factual thing. Women and Charles yeah. Hawtrey are terrified of mice. <laughs> <laughs> You'll notice he's also jumping on a stool yeah. and, and screaming. He's also clutching his skirts. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, let me say, that is a real mouse uh, on in a live transmission that um, Bernard Breslau is oh, really? holding. Yeah, I mean, you get a big close-up of it, and it's wiggling its uh, yeah, little head. True. This is not a Faulty Towers rat. There's no this is a Faulty mouse. Towers rat there. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I just thought it was complete anarchy. Imagine having a, a real mouse and like one little slip, it just jumps out of your hands. <laughs> uh, but yes, that is a real mouse. So Bootsy, ha- Bootsy hatches a plan to get the girls out. And again, that's probably because Michael Medwin isn't there to hatch the plan. So Bootsy hatches his exactly, plan. Exactly. Yeah. Get the girls out of their hut by putting the mouse in there and scaring them off. And you know, I, 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 honestly, Alan, I don't think we need to go through this scene by scene. <laughs> we, we can get to the sort of punchline of the show if you like. Is there anything else before we get there that you want? Well, can to I? Point can out? I, I? I made a note here about the very first scene where we establish our privates and uh, we mm. see them. Now, generally speaking, the army game. What I like about the army game. And why I think again it hasn't it doesn't feel too dated is it doesn't really fall into physical comedy very often. There's a bit of physical business here and there, but it's yeah. not it's not its raison d'être. It's not its kind of vibe. And perhaps we know we see why in this episode because there's an awful bit of physical comedy in which Charles Hawtrey gets sort of trapped behind a bed. And it's just a throwaway gag at the end of the scene where Bernard Breslau moves a bed in position, doesn't realise Charles Hawtrey's there and squashes him. But it's yeah. just, the whole thing is badly performed. Like, Charles Hawtrey's response is just pathetic. But it's mm-hmm. badly timed. It doesn't really mean anything in the scene. It's just like they've thought, oh, let's throw a little bit of a gag yeah. at the end. It's not set up part of the story. It's not a set up visually, so we understand who's where and how it's working. It's really bad. It just doesn't work at all. Interesting. That stuck out to me because for, for the most part, the stuff plays out quite well. I think, and especially for live transmission that's had a week rehearsal, you know, it's things hold together pretty well. But that mm-hmm. was just an example of something that really didn't work for me. Well, one thing, I, one thing I'd like to highlight before we move to the last scene is there's a, quite a lot of fourth wall breaking. The, the fearsome mm-hmm. female sergeant looks to camera a couple of times as if to say, gosh, these men, you know. And uh, Bootsy looks at the camera quite a bit. We saw at the beginning William Hartnell's character comes out and sort of addresses the audience to the camera, you know. Yeah, do you know what I noticed, actually? We're talking about the cast changes, but um, so Bill Fraser came in as, as Snudge and was a, a very different type mm. of Sergeant Major, much more comedic, sort of cartoonish Sergeant Major. Yeah, yeah. So when William Hartnell came back for the last series, Bill Fraser left, and so they brought William Hartnell back to try and reinvigorate mm. the show. I think he's doing a lot more turning to the camera and gurning in a slightly more cartoonish way to try and pull a little bit of that in. Oh, well, that's interesting because I haven't seen that later Hartnell performance. I've re- my note here is that Hartnell is a way better Sergeant Major than Snudge in terms in terms of his his performance. You know, I, I like that. I like that character. He's more fearsome, whereas Snudge is just a sort of a, a kind of laughable. He's, he's almost like the head teacher in the Bass Street Kids. You know, he's he's just he's just a sort of comedy character. But I think that makes it a little bit easier for comedy. I think that's, you know, yeah, in a sitcom yeah, setting, perhaps that is more appropriate. It was certainly more popular, I think, with the general public. Mm. But let's talk about him in a bit later. 
just a couple of other notes from this episode then. Um, first of all, the ad transitions in and out of the ad break. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I made a note the, of that. They're, they're quite nice things they do with this. I guess there was a bit more of an effort to try and, and make something of it. Uh, in this one, it's a sort of a, you see a soldier's boots sort of stand at ease or stand to attention or whatever it is. And mm. as they do it, the, the ventilation brick in the, in, the, in the wall suddenly swooshes away and it says, you know, back in five minutes or whatever. Yeah, quite a nice little bit of business. And again, it's all live. You've just yeah. got to cut to that. There's a bloke. You've got an extra stud there, ready to do it. Props man with a little lever at the back. <laughs> I liked all that. I look at business. And in the later series, it tends to be a naffy girl, you know, handing a cup of tea, yeah. and she pulls the shutter down, and it says, you know, ad break coming yeah. up now. I liked it the first episode that we this one that we're talking about was the first one I watched. And then when I watched later episodes and realized not only were they doing something interesting with the ad break, but they were doing something different every week as well, which is which was great. Mm. Well it has to be different really. It's live, you know, it's gonna be mm-hmm. a bit of variety to it. I also really like the credits, you know, and the end literally the end credits because again, it's all live and it's just you know, a camera or like it's almost like a slideshow, some of it. It's like they're panning yeah. across from one picture to another with someone's name on it mm-hmm. and all that. I quite like all that. It's just sort of a, a very physical, mechanical process. Yeah, mechanical feel to it. Yeah, it's just good. Uh, one line that stuck out to me, I quite like this line. I was on sentry yesterday and one of them girls accused me of being a peeping Tom. Said I'd been spying on her. Flipping nerve. As if I'd do a thing like that. Which girl was it? The one with the mole on her hip. Oh, <laughs> such a good line, yeah. No, it wasn't it was really good. And like I say, it didn't. I, I like it wasn't that. presented as a joke. It was just a throwaway line. I really like that. There's a there's a scene later on where Charles Hawtrey, the professor, is keeping guard outside the hut to make sure the women are not molested by um, malfeasance, mm-hmm. and he gets told to fix his bayonet yeah and i wonder if it's that you picked up on this but he gets it out and he starts to put it on and he just quietly like not even in the character voice kind of in his own voice just says to it now this doesn't take very long providing i can do it correctly and i think it's just him as an actor yeah. fretting about i did hear him say that <laughs> yeah i did hear him say that and i was like what, what? just put it on yeah i did hear that <laughs> At least fix your bayonet. Yes, madam, where shall I? Thank you. <laughs> now, this doesn't take very long, providing I can do it correctly. So I think that was a, an actor moment rather than a, a character uh-huh. moment. And then he does seem to be messing about with it later on as well, which he, and he seems to be struggling with it. Now, the very end of the episode, if we can just jump to the end of the episode, mm, it's, yeah. they try and put a button on it here that it's sort of like, Oh, I've sent the men back to the hut because the mice have escaped. But but the women's car broke down and I sent them to the hut. What? <laughs> and a kind of like, oh, and there it's gonna happen again. And it doesn't yeah. doesn't quite work. Well, no, something the, the, about before the that, the, the, the sort of punchline to the episode that wraps it up is the the female sergeant sort of storms into the commanding officer's office and says, "Look, I demand to ring general headquarters." And she's she's ringing the general, much to his horror. And it turns out that she's the general's daughter because nepotism is alive and well in the British Army. So, major upshot, Bagley, we cut across to where he was sitting before and his, his chair is spinning in a cartoon way. As he's, yeah, I don't know, actually, he's just he's run, run off. So <laughs> like, where has he gone? I don't know. He's just run <laughs> off. <laughs> I'm thinking of the Bass Street kids again. Yeah. And also with the major, there's always an empty bottle of whiskey on his desk. It's not even like, an attempt yes. to hide it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Um, what I did like about the plot is I think there's a nice bit of plot cohesion here. The mice giving us a, a sort of a, a, a nice little line all the way through. We establish it early on, Popeye's pet. Although I don't think we ever have that 
any other time where he's like this mice and men kind of big old yeah. little creature thing. I think they just threw it in for this episode. But then you've got the uh, that mouse set up there and it's like, oh, he's cold and all this sort of thing. Then they use it later to try and scare off the, the women. But then they are hoisted by their own petard in the sense that that is then gets them thrown out again. I think there's this, this nice little through line mm. with that. So I quite liked it. I thought it was a nicely well-written little thing. So yeah, that's that's the end of the plot. It, it cuts to credits. And interestingly, in this, in this credits, it just says, directed by Milo Lewis, Granada TV, gone. Um, and I think the credits could be shortened or lengthened depending for time. Uh, obviously, this is a live transmission yeah, sure. you need to make. Because there's no act so... There's three actors credited on the opening credits. No one else gets credited. So Bernard Breslau isn't credited. Interesting. You know, Charles Hawtrey isn't credited. But then also the the female characters and the general who are just one-off characters, they're not credited mm-hmm. either. I don't, so I don't know who played them. So you think their their, their credits were cut for time and they're sitting there next to on waiting to be filmed you show the credits they show the credits in some other episodes you show that why wouldn't you so it's not yeah. it's not a i think that's a decision based on time probably yeah they just mm-hmm. probably have them ready to go if you need them and just cut them appropriately okay well look let's talk about now you said that quite a lot of these older episodes are missing so i want to kind of jump ahead to series three where mm-hmm. we've got all of the episodes and goodness me there are a lot of them mm-hmm. and these are the ones that i've watched quite a few of these so i Although the episode we've discussed is series one, I'd like to talk about the cast for series three because it's, again, it's it's kind of a very different feel. Yeah, and and like I say, I, I I'm not sure where this transition came. If it was series two that they came in, because definitely mm. William Hartnell carries over into series two, and then but then Snudge comes in. I, because although so many of those episodes are missing, I'm not sure like exactly where this transition came. Mm. Probably a good time to talk about this right now, though, is Carry On Sergeant. Okay. Which was made in 1958, which was yeah. basically this same setting. And the sergeant of Carry On Sergeant is William Hartnell. He's the hard-headed sergeant who takes on all these motley crew of new recruits, uh, such as Charles Hawtrey, and yes. tries has to try and train, train them up. And that was based on a play, not not based on this, but obviously it owes a lot to it. They brought in William Hartnell, yeah. they brought in the likes of Charles Hawtrey. And, you know, if you've seen Carry On, Sergeant, it's not particularly funny, but um, <laughs> I think the army game is funnier generally. Uh, but that became, that was such a, a big hit that they did another one, Carry On Nurse, which was a huge hit, and then so on and so on. Uh, they used a lot of the same actors. It became the Carry On franchise right. that we all know and love. So Carry On Sergeant was the first, which hence the hence the name. Because you think, well, where does Carry On come yeah. from? That's a military carry term. On Sergeant? Carry On Sergeant, yeah, that was it. Mm-hmm. Uh, yes, and that was William Hartnell again that's playing the sergeant. So it was very much taking on this popular TV show in kind of in, in a lot of respects. Mm-hmm. So with the success of that, did that usher in the fact that they a lot of these actors moved on? Uh, Berta Breslau's not in Carry On Sergeant or a nurse I think so not quite sure about all that I'm not sure what the logistics of the, the comings and goings were worth noting though that the film spin-off which is called I Only Asked uh, after <laughs> Bernard Breslau's catchphrase <laughs> well, this, that, that was better than my one word impression of Bernard Breslau which I'm going to do again ready Sid <laughs> <laughs> yeah so that film spin-off also came out in 1958, made by Hammer Films, who made a lot of those sitcom films back in the day. Uh, okay, okay. Now, the interesting thing here is it has all the, those main actors, Alfie Bass, Charles Hawtrey, Bernard Breslau, mm. 
apart from the sergeant major character is played by david lodge and he's got a different name it's a different character okay however that character the sergeant major character in that film is much more akin to snudge than he is to bullymore if you like it look it feels like it's been written for bill fraser's sergeant major rather than william hartnell's um now exactly again when that transition was in 1958 they were both playing that part in the series as far as i could tell so exactly where that is And I don't know yeah. why, obviously, they weren't available. Neither of them were available. And that's why David Lodge is playing it. And David Lodge is never even in the show. You know, it's not like he, he was doing that. Uh, but the film is pretty good, actually. I think um, I think it's a nice transition of small to big screen. It, it shows the our troop being sent abroad uh, to some... Yes, so it's, it's not quite the army game on holiday because <laughs> yeah. they're getting stationed abroad. But it's, it's the same <laughs> principle much, yeah. as... Yeah, it's the same principle as um, Blakey going on holiday. So we've got, we got to get them out of the uh, out of the normal yeah. environs. But they go to some sort of fictional sort of Middle Eastern country or something. I'm not quite sure. We've got a lot of. Oh God. Um, do we know what the name of the fictional Middle East country is? <laughs> I do like. I do enjoy fictional country names in drama. What I do enjoy are a lot of um, characters who are Arabs with cut glass English accents and oh strangely darkened skin. <laughs> and, oh, no. and, they're all, and all the actors are called like Michael Smethick and stuff like that. This is like you said the uh, the army games aged well, but that's because there are no no no, no non-white characters in it. Exactly. Suddenly, suddenly now we see why. <laughs> uh, yeah, so it was a bit bit. It's aged in that sense, but I didn't feel like they were mocking kind of a different culture or anything. It's not really what it's about. Um, it's just a different no. setting for them to have a bit of shenanigans in, you know. And uh, I get you. And I think it works pretty well, you know. There's no laugh track or anything, but it still feels like it works. It feels like it's on the same level. Um, it, Sid Collin was one of the writers. It's the writers of Sid Collin who created and wrote a lot of the Army Game, and another writer who was a bit more of a film specialist. And you know, this is a time in the in the British film industry where you were getting these small British films that were just churned out, churned out, churned out because it was a mm-hmm. whole kind of yes. quota filling thing and very low budget stuff. So having a, a recognizable name, the fact that it's not called the Army Game, I suspect, is probably some sort of legal thing. Uh, but they they go and yeah. name it the catchphrase that everyone's going to recognize, and we know we know what it is. And the characters are all they've all got the, the same characters. They're oh yeah, 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 yeah. It's all the same thing. Yeah. So I think it's very interesting, you know, that's how much of a success it was. That's the first example, I believe, of sitcom transitioning to film. I think that's the first one. The very first one. Mm. That's interesting. Obviously, we know Hammer as Hammer Horror. Mm-hmm. Did they make any of the other sitcom films we've talked about? Yeah, or, yeah, quite you? quite a few of them, actually, in that, that period, okay. yeah. That was what they did. They were churning out cheap, cheap British films. Cheap films based yeah. on a pre-existing character or brand that people are going to recognize. Dracula, oh, yeah. Yeah. Frankenstein, yeah. Sure. <laughs> Whatever it was. Yeah, okay, I can see the similarity, yeah, between Bootsy and yeah. vampires. Yeah. <laughs> okay, let's let's jump back into series three then and like the new cast. Mm. We still have that Spiv corporal. Uh in this case it is Harry Fowler. Harry Fowler as Flogger. Yes. Now, I'm gonna I'm gonna interrupt you here because this is by far my favourite character. Oh yeah? I, I really do. I think he's a, this sort of charming, spivvy character. <laughs> you know, the, the sort of, again, I made this Dad's Army comparison. You think about James Walker in, uh, sorry, James Beck, Private Walker in um, Dad's Army, who is not an attractive character. He's not, you know, he's he's seen as a bit of a bad guy, you know, mm. whereas I think Flogger is charming. I think he's yeah. he's good looking. You know, Harry Fowler's a good looking young lad in a sort of uh, young Roy Castle kind of way. 
Yes, I, I thought Roy Castle. Yeah, yeah, I really like him. I think he's I think he's a great presence. Yeah, I I agree, and I think that sort of character you need to be charming because you know you're essentially you're, you're kind of breaking the rules and kind of often mm-hmm. doing some nefarious things. He's a bit over the top as an actor. <laughs> like he will do some yeah. big kind of like follow flogger <laughs> like kind of <laughs> yeah there's a lot of uh, yeah a lot of physical mannerisms that are a bit over the top yeah 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 but yeah if, it, harry fowler's an interesting one he was like a he was a cheeky cockney barrow boy like as a child uh-huh. and he was discovered during the war so he was born in 1926 and during the war when he was a teenager some sort of propagandaish film about cheeky cockney barrow boys you know in the blitz kind of vibe and they cast okay. him on the basis that he'd been on a radio interview or something like talking about his life as a cheeky cockney boy and they thought let's just he's like the thomas Tagoose of of the, the 40s <laughs> just like <laughs> let's get some real kids in and kind of just get them to act uh, and that was how he got into acting and then just yeah became a regular on that kind of cheap british film circuit that i was talking about and the army game mm. was more of a transition to tv for him like the other way really and uh, be- certainly became his, his big kind of role. And he, he, he went on to be, you know, he worked for many, many years, but in, again, in those kind of roles that like... Yeah, I, don't, I don't really know him though. I didn't know him at all. I, I didn't recognise him. You'll have seen him in stuff. He's not a hugely like jump out kind of face, is it? Mm. Well, he, he was in the George and Mildred film, uh, spin-off of, the, of George and Mildred. Yeah. He was in Dead Earnest, which is a sitcom. We've talked about it. It was a sitcom built for Andrew Sachs, a starring role for Andrew Sachs after oh, yes. Faulty Towers. I forgot the name. I do remember that. <laughs> it wasn't yeah. a huge success. But also in 1976, he was in something called The Melting Pot. I don't know if you've ever heard of that. It was no, It on. was a series. The entire series was filmed, but only the first episode went out, or the pilot went out. Oof. Yeah. Uh, well, let me just tell you, it was written by Spike Milligan. Oh God! <laughs> and he played a Pakistani character in in the show. Uh, Spike did, or Harry, Spike or Harry Milligan Fowler did. did. Um, so Harry Fowler played uh, a character who is who is described as a Chinese Cockney spiv. Oh my God! Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so it went out once. They filmed the series. Do you know? And do you know what? Never went out. The interesting thing about this, I don't want to get too diverted by this. But, you know, people talk about this idea. It was a different time and there was nothing wrong with it then. People were racist and it was fine. But it obviously wasn't. Like, Korean Chips was controversial when it went out. This got dropped after one episode. This is seven years it, after it, Korean Chips. It wasn't chips. all right at the Why time. Why will Spike Milligan not let the thing go? He will not. Re- he refuses <laughs> to stop doing it. <laughs> so let's let's look at some of the other characters that come in here. We still have Alfie Bass, of course, as Bootsy, is slightly different character. They bring in Ted Loon uh, as a character called Private Bone, mm. as a sort of stupid northerner. It's very hard to distinguish between you two. You know, you like it's two peas in a pod. Oh, yes. They all get us mixed up, sir. Leonard and, uh, and Gerald, they all get us mixed up. Yeah, yes, but your name is Len, isn't it? Uh, it is. It's Len and not Gerald. It is. You're sure it's Len? It is. You didn't nod your head there, did you? I did not. <laughs> now, sometimes Len is Gerald and Gerald's Len. Len is Gerald. Which one are you? Uh, I'm Gerald. You just said you were Len. Yeah, but I didn't say yes or no. I'll have the key to box 13. I got a bit chippy about this. <laughs> oh, so he's, he's from the north, therefore he's thick. That's how it's coded. And 
I, I, I will confess to be a bit annoyed about that. <laughs> and I did, fi- I did find this character, and it's not different to Bernard Breslau in, the, in this yeah, sense. Exactly. I did find it just a bit much. This, he's too thick. Like, you know, he's too stupid. Yeah. P- people aren't that stupid and operating in the world. <laughs> <laughs> he's got a good physicality, Ted Lee, and he's as, as thin as a rake, uh, and he's got like yeah. no, no teeth into his face. Is all he's got that with. gurning face, hasn't yeah. he? Ted Loon is pretty much only rem- remembered for this. He actually died relatively young in 1968. Mm. And he was a sort of a northern comic kind of thing. He was in, in you know, in okay. the Bolton world of comedians and like variety or whatever. And yeah. this was his big break. You know, this was what he's known for, really. Right. And then we do have a sort of a bit of a rolling, a rolling conveyor belt of other people. Like I say, they, they did bring people yeah. in and out. We had Dick Emery was in some of the earlier episodes and then they bring him back later on when... When Alfie Bass leaves, he's kind of brought in mm, as the, sort of the, the replacement for Alfie Bass in the very last series. He actually becomes a regular, but he's in some of the earlier ones as well. One of the other uh, soldiers who was in one of the episodes I watched was Harry Taub, who plays mm. an Irish character, Dooley. Yeah. A little bit of racism in that episode, <laughs> anti-Irishism. But, but, you know, different time, it's fine. I, I recognise Harry Taub mm-hmm. from Home James that we watched with Jim Davidson very recently. So he is a much, much younger, younger man. It yeah. took ages to figure out who he was. Yeah. So, so he's a bit of a sort of British character actor. But yeah, that episode he was playing a, an Irish private who had got a, a he got a lucky charm, Alan. He got a lucky charm that was bringing good <laughs> luck to all who who bore it. I mean, it's fine. It's fine. I mean, that, Harry Taub's in a few episodes, and then he sort of seems to disappear. And I, I don't know if they mm. they were trying to pin down another member and couldn't quite do it. And then for most of that series, we get Mario Fabrizzi um, as a, as a lance corporal. Um, he's probably in most of the episodes. Uh, Mario Fabrizzi, you know, as the name suggests, was of Italian uh, parentage, but he was a mm. you know British born, as, as the accent suggests. And, you know, he was a regular on Hancock's Half Hour before this, uh, and they did this. Was, uh, again, he died in 1963, you know, so very, died quite young, but didn't, so didn't really go on to do a lot more. Um, I quite like him as a presence. He's like a bit of a mini okay. f- flogger. Like, he's he's not stupid. Okay. He knows what he's doing, and he'll kind of have a few schemes himself. I think he's quite a nice actor as well. Interestingly, though, he pops up in some of the early episodes, like he's the guy who... You know, he's a, he's a soldier. He comes and delivers the mail or something. You know what I mean? Like he was kind yeah. of in in the. He's obviously in the company in the world. But then they bring him in as a proper character later on. And weirdly, in one episode, like halfway through series three, I think it is, he's not in the episode as his character. But then Bootsy goes off to meet someone at a train station and he ends up talking to this Italian guy, like just a brief scene with an Italian guy who doesn't understand what he's saying. And it's Mario Fabrizi, like doing Italian, but Uh it's him. And it's obviously him. He's got the big moustache and everything. But it was he's just playing a different character. And that's not like a year after he'd left or anything like that. It's like in between episodes when he was having a week off. And that's not some plot contrivance. No, no. It was just just the only Italian to play this character. Oh, let's get Mario to do it. <laughs> like, and that's oh, yeah. kind of perfectly acceptable. Like, that's no no one's going to bother about that. It's so, it seems oh, seems so alien to us. Like Dick Emery plays a, a plays a character earlier on as well, where he's an interior designer type, type character. But I th- again, I think I think this is the world of repertory theatre. This is where all these yeah. people come from, including the production staff. And so that's what happened is, you know, we had an actor, we liked him, we'll bring him in to do this character. Mm. You know, it didn't matter who you'd played before. It's not like the Marvel Cinematic Universe. 
I said Marble Cinema. <laughs> I obviously meant Marvel, but I'm I'm kind of intrigued by an, a, a sort of 27 film structure about marbles. <laughs> well, the the Mario Fabrizio one just seemed particularly egregious because it's while he was a regular on the show. It wasn't like yeah, two years yeah. before or anything like that. It just seems weird. Yeah. Frank Frank Williams is another one who was uh, was a guest in yes. the series previously and then becomes a regular as a different character. He sort of takes over the Jeffrey Sumner as as Major Upshot Bagley. He's the captain, but he's basically the, the CEO commanding of officer the, the thing. Um, so he's a regular in it for for all this bulk of the third fourth series. And he's the sort of nervous upper class officer that creates problems by being indecisive. Yeah, Frank Williams just died recently, very old. He was in his nineties. I quite I quite liked him actually. I thought he was, I thought he did that job very well. I think that's all the kind of the the regulars that we have. Well, do you know what we haven't really talked about, Bill Fraser. We've yeah, talked about yeah, Alfie Bass so. playing Bootsy. So, so Sergeant Major Snudge comes in replacing William Hartnell, mm. Bill Fraser. He's a buffoon, isn't he? He's sort of vainglorious and mm. full of himself. I'm sending it to Nichols and Goats. They, they publish memoirs and such like high-class literary matter. Yeah, well, you certainly deserve a success after slaving away night after night at your typewriter. Well, it was a labour of love, sir, a labour of love. Some people are not like some people's are. Some people know how to take advantage of their leisure hours and create literary works of art like what I've done here, sir. Not like some people, sir, what sit all night long, their mouths open in front of their television, swallowing all that tripe. I also, here's the thing, I noticed a lot that he sort of kept looking to the side like his eye line was wrong, like he was trying not to make eye contact. You know, when you're talking to someone who won't make eye contact. It was a bit like that. I think it was a character choice. I don't know if that was a characterization. I think it is, yeah. Yeah. Again, if I, I may sort of call back to my relating this to Ain't Half Hot Mum, you know, this is much more mm. of a Windsor Davis style mm. sure. uh, Sergeant Major. It's a bit ca- more cartoonish. And ultimately, you know, he has the authority, but ultimately kind of his power is undercut all the time. He never really has any any say over what's going on. He's always being, um, you know, the rug pulled up from under him. And I like I like his, and this is very much Windsor Davis as well. I like the diction. I like the, the way that he speaks with that sort of affected poshness that that he doesn't have busily you are a disgrace to that uniform what you are wearing (laughs) yeah 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 again all that stuff came after this (laughs) a and a hot mum is a total rip-off of the army game uh, and i'm i'm putting my flag down on that (laughs) this must be observational comedy yeah you know if you'd served in either during the war or in national service this is the sergeant major everyone had a sergeant major i remember my sergeant major and for about three years afterwards every time i raised my voice to a shout it came out in a scottish accent (laughs) (laughs) that's how he haunted me and is 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 that the nature of the position obviously a non-commissioned officer so it's like you're not from the posh officer ranks but you've risen through you've earned your stripes yeah and so you're going to make sure everyone knows about it yeah, yeah. So you are, you are, you know, I am generalizing here, obviously, but the officer class had nothing to prove. They didn't need to show that they were better than you because they just were. They were born that way. Whereas when it was came to the non-commissioned officers, they sort of had something to prove. You know, they'd started where you were and they had to either outshout you or, you know, just pretend to be a bit more like the officers by putting on those airs and graces, you know. Does does it attract a certain kind of personality as well, that job, I guess? <laughs> it's like a prison officer. Well, I guess it's uh, sort of... they're all promoted from within the ranks, aren't they? So it's a self-selecting group. You know, you have to have a certain set of attributes to to achieve those (laughs) levels. Yeah, I think you see Flogger at some point, he like goes, why did I ever take the stripes? You know, it's just responsibility. (laughs) Yeah. So what about, uh, let's, let's talk about Bootsy and Snudge then. So these two characters obviously were the ones that got the spin off. 
Um, so, so how did that happen? When did that happen? Was that after Army Game had completely finished? What, 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 tell me the story. No, so well, this like for whatever reason, they those two were the breakout, the lovable stars of that later incarnation. The relationship between them, this kind of weird child and stepfather kind of relationship mm. that they had, love hate kind of vibe. Yeah, they they got a sequel called Bootsy and Snudge. In which they get demobbed and they go into Civvy Life, Civvy Street, and they both then get a job at the same place. Uh, it, but Snudge is still kind of above Bootsy, obviously. Uh, yeah. But then, like, in I haven't seen a lot of it, um, but the ones I've seen, like, they're not just working together, they sleep in the same room and all, <laughs> all this Mock them my style. Completely in each other's pocket, you know. So that started in 1960, and so that they left the series of the Army game. And so the last series of the Army game, they had to try and revamp, uh, yeah. and they brought William Hartnell and Jeffrey Sumner back yeah. as the Sergeant Major and Major, respectively. Uh, so, yeah. they, that's, so they went back to that first series incarnation rather than trying to replace them again. Mm-hmm. But then your your other sort of principal actors are the same. Dick Emery kind of comes in and fills the Alfie Bass role as a, a private catchpole. And Dick Emery is a is a big personality, you know. So obviously yeah. went on to have his own show and everything. So you know, he's uh, I think he's quite a good presence there. And is he playing Dick Emery? Is that you know? Is, is he yeah. just doing that character? Yeah. 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 Fair enough. <laughs> uh, yeah, but it's all right. That that seems to work okay, even so. But you've lost that snudge cartoony vibe of the of the sergeant major and you've gone back to the much harder william hartnell even though like i say i think they try and soften it a little bit yeah they they did that for a few years bootsy and snudge and that was that was primarily written written by marty feldman and barry took okay who were very much in that in that world you know they were just churning stuff out they'd written some of the army game they'd written the odd episode but they really took on bootsy and snudge as the main the main writers because the army mm-hmm. game had a real writer's room kind of vibe because of the obvious weekly churn it out kind of vibe you know you need more writers than just a couple of people i wanted to ask you about the writers because there isn't one overriding writer on the army game mm. i think if anyone it's sid colin who was the sort of creator mm. and i think he may have overseen it in a sort of general way what you would call yeah. a showrunner these days perhaps yes but what, what the reason I wanted to bring this up was that one of the episodes in series three, uh, which was series series three episode twenty eight, Good Night Ladies. I started watching this episode. And I thought I'm getting, I was getting deja vu, and it's it's basically a complete rewrite of racks of the episode we talked about in the first half of the podcast. Yes. So it's it's you know different. Our character is different. So it's basically instead of William Hartnell, we've now got Bill Fraser, and we've got the new cast of soldiers, and it's it's four different female soldiers. But it's exactly the same plot. It's exactly the same story, almost yes. scene for scene. I found that very interesting. Yes, it was just a blatant rewrite. Now, obviously, we've we've lost a lot of the episodes from series one, and I wondered whether this was common. You know, a lot of those lost episodes. Have we actually seen their rewritten format in series three and four? Yes, I'm not sure. I sent you that episode because it jumped out at me. It was like, oh, this is the mm. same as this other one. So how common was that? What are the chances that one of the five that we uh, exist have survived, you know, is, is one of the ones? What's the remade? logic there? This is the days before repeats, obviously. But, yeah, you know, like we've seen a lot of sitcoms that, you know, they were made in the 60s and then they sort of had another run at them in the 70s. I'm thinking of the rag trade where they they created a new cast. It was colour. And so they were, they were kind of remaking, retooling some of the old scripts. But this is two years later. There's been no break in production. This is just completely recycling a script. What? I don't understand. This is a repeat. 
Well, exactly. They didn't have repeats. So those shows went out live. They weren't recorded. No one ever saw them again. So two years later, yeah, let's just... Let's do that script again. These new actors. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's exactly what it was. And who's going to remember? Because even if you kind of vaguely remember, I saw an episode where they did some women turned up. Like, that's as much as you're going to remember because you've seen 40 other episodes since then. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I think... Yeah, you can get away with that. Why not? And... But the the writers of the original one are not credited on the second one. Really, so. that's extraordinary. <laughs> yeah, no, that is extraordinary. Different, different writers, so like certainly on in terms of official credit, I don't know if they got any money for it. <laughs> but it is well dodgy, isn't it? It's, and there's a couple other little bits. So like, there's a bit in the film where they get tricked into volunteering for something, and then that happens in the series as well. So like that yeah. one little chunk, like the, the a way that they are fooled, things like that that I notice cropping up. But yeah, given that most of series one and two are missing, how many of them got remade again yeah. in series three? And interestingly, so that remake, Goodnight Ladies, it is essentially a scene for scene remake, but it's not as good, is it? It's, it's not as good. It's, You're right. There's a lot less subtlety. So I was complaining about the fact that you get a lot of, in, in the show in general, you get a lot of like people talking and there's someone stood right next to them and they haven't seen them and then they're mm. talking about them or whatever. There's a lot of that kind of theatrical mm. nonsense. Yes. It's kind of like the your theatrical suspension of disbelief, which I don't think ever really works quite as well on TV. Mm. In Goodnight Ladies, they walk into a room where some people are asleep, have perfectly out loud conversations, sit on the beds where people are sitting, yeah. kind of feeling, oh, my bed's all lumpy because there's yeah, someone yeah. sat on it. And then someone wakes up. It's just so completely unrealistic and <laughs> so beyond my suspension of disbelief. So yeah. I like that sort of thing bothers me. And it's a real theatrical thing. Um, yes. But I don't think it works in theatre either. It annoys me. <laughs> 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 But to, to go back to Bootsy and Snudge, that ran for a few years. And the first series of that went out at the same time as the last series of the Army game. So like I said, they had to do some character twists there. Interestingly, immediately after that, they tried to do another show called Foreign Affairs. Uh, so that was like a sequel to the sequel in which Bootsy and Snudge get sent off to some kind of vaguely fictional European country. They're in, oh, like, okay. working in the British embassy there. Bootsy and Snudge go on holiday. Yeah, it's the same. But that lasted one series didn't seem to catch. And then uh, they they did a show called Vacant Lot in 1967, which is not Bootsy and Snudge, but it is Alfie Bass and Bill Fraser in the same power dynamic where it's like, you know, Bill Fraser's the boss and Alfie Bass is the worker, you know, trying to recapture the magic. Mm. And then, as you were mentioning about, uh, like, the rag trade, some colour remakes, they did in 1974, they did a brief series of Bootsy and Snudge in colour, only six episodes, 1974. I think that was part of that. That revival colour remake. That, that vibe of kind of, let's classics. just try and bring some of those bowls back. And it didn't catch, obviously. They only did yeah. a few few episodes. Uh, yeah, that's your Bootsy and Snudge sidebar there. It, they they had pretty much as long a life as the show itself. You know, mm. they were obviously yeah. popular characters. And, uh, I've seen a little bit of Bootsy and Snudge. Um, can't say I was that impressed. Um, but uh, what about have we got any other sort of legacies then of the army game? Would you how would you say it's influenced things since? I mean, I, I, it basically gave us the Carry On films. I mean, not, sure. uh, you know, there's there's loads of connections there. Like Sid Collin and Talbot Rothwell wrote together a lot. Uh, Talbot yeah. Rothwell, not early Carry On, but uh, the later Carry Ons, he wrote them all. Um, Sid Collin did definitely write on one of the later ones. He's a credited writer on one of them, I'm pretty sure. But mostly the cast connections. Um, it, and it, it maybe it just brought together a lot of those 
casts and you know yeah. how many of these guys worked on Hancock as well you know but yeah. that's a slightly different vibe you know you've got Sid James Kenneth Williams coming in from there you've got yeah. Bernard Breslau Charles Hawtrey coming from this that sort of thing and it took a while for that carry on vibe to really gel carry on sergeant does not feel like a carry on film in that sense mm-hmm. but you watch the army game and it it does if you have the army game and there's some women there that's you would have the carry on vibe yes. that, yeah you would that yes. comedy it yeah. got a little bit bawdier in the late 60s, a little bit raunchier, but that was just with the changing of the times. Mm-hmm. This vibe of comedy is the same as that. And and yeah. what this did, if anything, was demonstrated that that was something that people wanted. It was marketable. And the yes. film version was a success. You know, like I said, this was ITV's first sitcom. It was a big success. And it doesn't feel like it set the scene for how sitcoms carried on because the BBC style of six episodes at a time became much more than all. I very much liked your comparison to Porridge earlier. As I said, I was sort of desperately trying to draw links between this and Dad's Army for the obvious reason. But it's not. It's nothing like Dad's Army. But I I, I think the Porridge comparison really holds up. Blokes all trapped together in a situation. Authority figures to be poked fun at and to do faux battle with. No one ever comes to any real harm. Everyone's having a bit of fun at each other's expense. Yeah, I think it's a really good comparison. Yeah, and and, and you're churning this out week after week after week. I think it's remarkably good. I think it's it's very solid. Well, you watched watched a lot more episodes than I did. Yeah. I would imagine it was a little bit samey. How does it hold up to watching one after the other after the other? Yes. Do you know what samey isn't right? I think it's consistent. Uh Considering we've got different writers and all sorts of things, I think it's remarkably consistent. Okay. And it's it's fun, it's enjoyable, it's the sort of thing where you're like, oh, I want to check in with these lads every week and see yeah. what shenanigans they're up to. I, I would agree with that. I watched seven episodes and I enjoyed it. It was fun. It was fun. There's no character development, there's no movement of the characters and that's okay. No growth. I, uh, yeah, exactly. And that's all right. <laughs> but um, very few examples of anything going really tits up in terms of, you know, a bit of set falling over or anything like that. Mm. Um, it's, it's, I think it's it's remarkably well done. Like I say, I, I think it's undated. I think this you could repeat this and it would play well. I don't think it will, but... <laughs> yeah, you're right. You're also right that it never will be because it's just too old, isn't it? It's black and white <laughs> quality and so on. Yeah. Uh, the, the film stock quality, I mean. Yeah, I do. I think, I, you know, if our listeners want to go and find an episode or two and have a look, it's certainly worth having a dig around and finding it. Here's a one last little uh, little bit of trivia for you. Mm-hmm. One of the sort of stock, I guess, p- part of the company... Um, is Jeffrey Palmer, a very young Jeffrey Palmer. Oh, I didn't see him in the episodes I watched. He's in quite a few episodes, um, but just as a soldier. Whenever they needed someone to come in and deliver a line or just kind of, oh, I'm here to deliver a message, sir. Yeah, just a few lines. It seems to be Jeffrey Palmer. He was obviously just on call or in in that little group. Certainly in the ones I've seen, he's never kind of really stepped up to be Mario Fabrizi's on holiday. Can you come in and fill the role? I never never got that. But uh, but yeah, it was interesting to see a young Jeffrey Palmer, obviously pre-fame. And playing really one of the privates, you know, not like I I would have thought of Jeffrey Palmer's officer class myself, but he's not. (laughs) Yes, later Jeffrey Palmer would certainly have been an officer, wouldn't he? So that's that's the army game. I think we've we've covered that pretty well. It's quite an awkward one to cover because of the sort of splintered nature of the cast, which you don't see. You don't see that in sitcoms these days. You might get one or two people changing, but to have such a shift in cast and and for it to remain popular is um, fairly. Unusual. Well, it was a different time in terms of you know not in terms of the political correctness of it, but in terms of 
the, the choices that were available for people to watch, the novelty of it. This was the f- one of the first sitcoms. So I, I agree with you that it on paper looks unusual that it remained popular for so many episodes and with so many changes. But we're, we're looking at that through a 21st century lens, aren't we? And it's interesting to note that, that kind of vibe of like, yeah, we just swap another actor in, that's not a problem, yeah. and like the audience aren't going to bother. And I think the audience are bothered by that, the fact that we don't see that anymore. But if you think of something like Hancock's Half Hour, which was very mm. kind of repertory vibe, yeah, you know, yeah. same same actors, different characters. At that time, that's definitely changed. And I think that had changed by the 60s. You don't see that with, for example, uh, On the Buses, which is 10 years later. It's, you know, it's all the same actors and characters. You know, yeah. Obviously some come in and out, but you don't, you don't get a repertory theatre vibe about that. I wonder if that's yeah. got anything to do with soaps. There's a lot of kind of Coronation Street links here, you know, Granada mm-hmm. and, and all that. Uh, maybe having the character there day after day, week after week in soaps made that normal. Perhaps. I don't know, maybe I'm... Maybe I'm but, you know, the idea of a soap that. is that characters do have arcs, things happen to them. You know, it's not yeah. episodic. It's not yeah. like everything's wrapped up by the end of the episode in Coronation Street. Continuity is the thing, isn't it? Yeah. Coronation Street, which certainly in its early days was essentially a comedy... <laughs> uh, there's a lot of writers connections between the army game and uh, and coronation street obviously yeah. they're all writing in granada working for granada and all that sort of stuff so if i could ever be bothered to watch coronation street we could do some kind of spin-off but i'm not gonna <laughs> so, no. mm-hmm. uh yeah so well that's very really interesting stuff i'm glad i finally kind of got to watch some of this really old stuff because i'd only ever seen bits and pieces before yeah i think it's really good i think it really holds up what are we going to be doing next, Alan? Let's go for something completely different. Too many men in this is a bit of a sausage mm-hmm. fest. Let's <laughs> let's go something female-led. Yeah. Uh, Dinner ladies. Dinner ladies. Marvelous. By the very highly esteemed Victoria Wood. I'm looking forward to this one. I haven't seen it for years, so I'm, I'm looking forward to rewatching yeah. it all. We will announce on our social media channels which episode we're going to focus on. But yeah, if ever, I would encourage everybody to just go out and watch all three series of Dinner Ladies. It's a, it's a good investment of time. Mm. Oh, we're, we're tipping yes. our hand here, aren't we? <laughs> I love it. <laughs> I love it. I love it. <laughs> Looking forward to it. All right, great. Thanks, uh, everyone. Well, thanks. If you thanks if you listening. do want to follow us on social media, then we are on Twitter and Instagram at BritComPod. Or if you go on Facebook and just tap it in British Sitcom History Podcast into the search bar, you'll find our page there. Thanks, everyone. And we'll see you next time with Victoria Wood. Bye. <laughs>